This is a GRDC podcast. Farming by its very nature involves taking risks. And there are risks that sometimes just can't be avoided, such as decisions around seasonal conditions. But there are some risks that can be avoided, or at least mitigated, and that's what this podcast is all about. G'day, I'm Chris Brown. The risk we are talking about here is resistance forming to the chemicals you use to control pests in your crops, and specifically the big four. Red-legged earth mite, green peach aphid, diamondback moth and helicoverpa, species that are economically damaging but have evolved insecticide resistance. Fortunately, the industry has formulated resistance management strategies for these pests that give growers the opportunity to minimise their impact now and importantly into the future. I caught up with Paul Yumina, the director of CESA at the most recent crop protection forum held at Moama in New South Wales for this quite frank discussion about these four resistance management strategies. What these strategies do is really try to strike a balance between providing very economically sensible and effective pest management recommendations, but balanced in such a way that we know that we're using chemicals that will minimise the selection pressure for further resistance evolution in those species. And I guess that's the key here because we know these species have this great ability, this great propensity to evolve resistances. And of course, this is an ongoing process. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is these species will continue to evolve resistance, particularly if we continue to use agrochemicals, I guess, as we have been doing in Australia. And so these strategies are still using those chemistries, but trying to think about how we can rotate those chemistries, how we might window those products through a season, for example. But of course, also, what are the non-chemical options that might be available? So how do we utilise beneficials? What are the cultural strategies that we have for each of these species? Mm. And they differ for each of those four pests. In a way, a lot of it's about protecting the, the chemistries that we've got already. Absolutely. And Absolutely. That, that are working. Yep. Yeah. And you know that the issue that we have in the Australian grain system when it comes to insecticides is that we don't have a great number. We're not blessed with a, a large number of chemical options. We are very reliant on very few modes of action, particular chemical classes. You know, the main ones are organophosphates, pyrethroids and neonicotinoids. We do have certainly some other chemical groups. They're not used anywhere near as much, but we don't have a very large number that we have available to choose from when we want to selectively and strategically rotate. So we don't have a lot of options and we need to make sure that we're protecting the very few chemical options that we do have available. Presumably the formulation of these strategies is as a result of concern that they were needed in the first place. Absolutely. Look, these strategies only came about once resistance issues had already emerged. So they weren't preemptive. They were, I guess, in response to an issue that Mm. was already out there in the field, growers, advisors, the industry as a whole were grappling with how to better steward chemicals when it came to these species in particular. We've heard a lot today about adoption. How have these strategies been adopted by farmers? Well, look, the fact of the matter is we don't have any mechanism by which to measure adoption of these strategies. I guess at best we can look at hits and downloads of the strategies from websites, but that doesn't tell us really what's happening out in the field. We've had anecdotal reports, we've had, I guess, some some indications that certainly the recommendations are being adhered to in some areas, particularly probably the more recent 
resistance management strategy for Halicoverpra amygdala. But I think, if I was to be very honest, we'd probably have to say that on mass, the resistance management strategies aren't being closely adhered to. Well, that's not really good to hear. Do you have a reason or anything behind that? Not specifically. I think it's a very complex issue and, and I guess, area to unpack in terms of adoption of these mm. sorts of strategies. Everyone will have a different reason. Well, that's right, yeah. exactly. And in fairness, I guess, to the industry, there hasn't been really a concerted effort to seriously promote these strategies in a very, I guess, formal and strategic and systematic and also continuity of, I guess, that promotion, that package. So, you know, they've been developed. There's been a small amount of promotion of them and now they're sort of left on the website. So I think we can do better in terms of how we help advisors, help growers get access to that information, interpret that information, but also adapt it to their own regional circumstances because these are pretty grounded recommendations. As I said, they've been developed in conjunction with CropLife Australia, agrochemical companies and agronomists. But ultimately, you know, they will need to be adapted for specific regions and mm. specific contexts. And I think that's what we need to get to. And sitting down and strategising with people involves a fair bit of collaboration, I suppose, across the industry and even with other industries. Yeah, absolutely. I think we certainly have a, a large number of stakeholders that have a responsibility and have an interest in resistance management across the grains industry whether it be growers, advisors, chemical companies, researchers, extension personnel, etc. And absolutely, I think all of those stakeholders need to be aligned and need to be working together to ensure that we get the outcome that ultimately I think we're all driving towards. And certainly, as an extension to that, we have this challenge of the grains industry is not operating in isolation. If we look at our big four, things like green peach aphids, diamondback mm. moth, helicoverpera midgera in particular, are also very important pests in other industries such as cotton, such as vegetable crops. And so, you know, we need to be engaging and thinking about how we can integrate strategies and recommendations around resistance management, not just in the grains industry, but in those industries as well. Meantime, time marches on and you looked back over the last 12 months and what has changed with those big four. What's changed? Unfortunately, quite a lot has changed and none of it is particularly good news. In the case of red-legged earth mites in our part of the world in southeastern Australia, we've seen, I guess, a range expansion of resistances to both organophosphates and synthetic pyrethroids, particularly in South Australia. We've also recently had, I guess, the first detection of organophosphate resistance in red-legged earth mites in Victoria. So these are new detections and new regions that now are grappling with resistance mm. in that particular pest. Similarly with green peach aphids, we've seen in a very short space of time a continuation of the spread of low-level neonicotinoid resistance in green peach aphids. But perhaps more concerningly is the evolution and detection of new resistances in some of these species. You know, again, with green peach aphids, we recently identified low-level resistance to sulfoxaphor, a very important chemistry in grains context in terms of green peach aphid management. Fortunately, that is only in a very small number of populations thus far, and we hope, of course, that it stays like that, but that is certainly a recent discovery. And the other one that, that has certainly surprised me is very high levels of resistance that have evolved very recently in diamondback moth to our group 28 chemistries, which are our diamides. And this is seriously not good news in terms of diamondback moth management. Where does so, that appear? 
Look, at, at this stage, that's just in the Lockyer Valley, as far as I understand. This is work that's being led principally by SARDI over in Adelaide. But these things in each of those species has just, I guess, happened in the last 12 months. So we've seen quite a lot of movement in terms of expansions and new resistances in these species. And really, 12 months is not that long when you think about evolutionary processes and evolutionary timeframes. Mm. So it's where we're at, and I think it probably provides a bit of an indication about where we're going as well. With Russian wheat aphid now in Australia, seed dressing has become a very, well, wide, very widespread now. Is that causing you some concern? That certainly is, and that's one that we've been investigating a little bit over the last 12 months. And it's not just Russian wheat aphid. It's very difficult now to purchase canola seed in Australia that doesn't come with mm. an insecticide seed treatment. Yes. That's been the case sure. for some time. And principally, our insecticide seed treatments in grain systems are neonicotinoids. By and large, insecticide seed treatments are that one chemical group. There is one exception, which is a registration in canola, but it's not particularly widely adopted or widely used. So canola is largely treated with neonicotinoids before planting. And as you say, in southeastern Australia, with the introduction and concerns around Russian wheat aphid, but also because of concerns about viruses in cereal aphids, there has been an expansion and certainly an, a significant increase in the adoption of insecticide seed treatments in cereals. And also, to a lesser extent, we've started to see more and more seed treatments being applied to pulses and even some pastures. These are all insecticide seed treatments, all neonicotinoids. And so absolutely, when we think about the selection pressure, that that imposes across the landscape. We now have hundreds of thousands of acres that are treated with neonicotinoids in many years, if not all years. And so that is providing a great deal of selection pressure. It's working very well currently, absolutely, and I can understand why we've gone down that path. It's, it's a very effective product, but it's a very important product. And if we continue to use it in this way, we do have con some concerns because of that selection pressure because we know some of these species have this high propensity to evolve resistance that they may evolve resistance to neonicotinoids. And of course, for some species, if neonicotinoid resistance does evolve and it takes those chemical options off the table, then really we're gonna be left with very few options when it comes to chemistries. And mm. so it is absolutely a concern and it is certainly something we need to stop and think about whether those seed treatments are actually needed in every paddock, every season. Well, yeah, how do you make that decision, though? Because, I mean, at the moment, as you say, it's more or less an insurance application, isn't it? It is. It's a very difficult decision to make. And unfortunately, because of that prophylactic nature, those decisions are being made many months in advance yeah. of the season. So it's very difficult to predict insect and mite pest risk a season ahead. You can get some sense for some species, but for other species that are highly migratory, for example, it's very difficult to predict uh, that far out. So there are no doubt significant challenges in terms of how to make those decisions. Ultimately, it's, it's all about weighing up risk. So Paul, just to finish off, there was some interesting good news, I suppose, about future battle lines that could be drawn. What's this microbe living inside insect cells and what's all that about? Yeah, well, look, this is a, a really new area when it comes to, I guess, scientific research in the agricultural context, or certainly in Australia. It's really quite outside of even my area of expertise, mm. but these endosymbionts, as they're called, are microbes that basically persist and live inside a large number of invertebrate cells. So there are a large number of insects and mites that have these microbes that live inside their cells, 
um, in some cases inside their guts. Some estimates put it at more than 80% or about 80% of all insects and mites have some sort of microbe living inside them. And these endosymbionts potentially provide a very new and very, I guess, novel way of controlling pests, not just in grain systems, but in other systems as well. In fact, I guess where the thought has come to explore this has actually been in the medical space where there's been a, a great deal of research over the last four or five years looking at these endosymbionts in mosquitoes and using techniques to manipulate those endosymbionts and stopping those mosquitoes from transmitting viruses, so things like dengue fever. And this has attracted a huge amount of attention. There are massive projects being funded globally in this space and there are being mosquitoes released with these endosymbionts as we speak in the field in a number of countries as a way to minimise issues with viruses such as dengue fever. And so we're starting to think about how we might apply that same sort of thinking to agricultural pests. So for example, aphids, green peach aphids was a species we mentioned before. One of the, the biggest concerns we have in the grains industry is not necessarily their feeding damage to crops like canola, but it's the viruses that they transmit. One virus in particular, turnip yellows virus, is probably the one that we're most concerned about. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we can manipulate those endosymbionts in green peach aphids so that those aphids could no longer transmit that virus? And so that's, I guess, the avenue and the line of inquiry that we're going down through work at the University of Melbourne being led by Ari Hoffman. And I think it's really exciting, but it really is blue sky. And it still is, I guess, some way into the future before we see potentially aphids being released with different endosymbionts into the field. Fingers crossed for that one sometime in the future, but farmers today face the reality of insecticide resistance. So please go to the GRDC website and look closely at these well thought out resistance management strategies. Thanks to Paul Yamina from Caesar. My name is Chris Brown. <laughs>